Good morning. It is good to be with you. We are concluding our summer sermon series, Jesus on Every Page. We're going to conclude by looking at a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49. So if you have a Bible or device, go ahead and turn there. Okay, we'll get that to that text here in a second. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, then you know that Rob and David have been preaching through various Old Testament texts, all of which are either pointing directly or indirectly to the person of Jesus. And as we've been doing that, hopefully we're, we're building up this understanding that the Bible is one continuous story. Uh, you could use the, the, the word meta-narrative. All that means is we're taking the small accounts of the Bible where when we put them all together and we step back, we see one major plot line and one major person of Jesus. We should expect then to see Jesus on every single page. And this is true. This has been a, a thrust for us over the summer. However, before we go any further, I want to make sure we've, we've got something clear. When we say that the Bible is one continuous story, we need to understand what we mean. Because when we say the Bible is one continuous story, we really don't mean that the Bible is a story at all, at least not in the New York Times bestseller type of way. When we say that the Bible is one continuous story, we are saying that it is as real as anything can be. And if you were with us last week and you heard David preach, he mentioned uh, Daniel and he mentioned Abraham. And when we are hearing those names, those are not characters in a story. Those are actual people that, that live. They are just as real as you or as me. And we think about the hardships that they endured, the sacrifices, the, the faith that it required to live the kind of life that they did. We know that the situations that they faced are as real as the situations that we faced with our political upheaval, with COVID-19, with race riots and Black Lives Matter. What they experienced is similar to what we've experienced. The Bible is more than just based on a true story. It is a real thing. And that's an important distinction to make because when we move from studying these Old Testament stories and hopefully moving from just the Bible as a concept to something that's very real for us, we should be able to answer the question, Jesus is on every page, so what? Jesus is on every page, so what? Can we answer that question after our study this morning? Because if we, when someone asks us, if all we can do is hold up our Bible and say, hey, you know, Jesus is on every page of this thing, you know. If that's all we can say, then I think we really have missed it. We've fallen short of our intended goal. So what I want to do is provide two broad themes that are anchored in our text this morning of Isaiah 49. They're going to help us answer that question, so what? They're also going to help us reflect on what we've studied thus far this summer and hopefully bring it all together in a way that we can handle. And after we reflect on it, we should be able to spring forward into what I would like to think is a, a, a deeper relationship with Jesus. If Jesus is on every single page, then our relationship with him, as we conclude this series, should be more honest and more real. And it should hopefully stir up in us a, a, a deeper uh, desire to want to be in God's word. If we expect that God is speaking on every single page, then we need to understand the context of the Bible so we can better understand our own context here. So here are the, these two broad themes. The first is this. First is this. We are too quick to forget. Too quick to forget. Uh, on one level, you could say that we're too quick to forget what we ate for breakfast yesterday morning. I'll give you a second to think about that. Okay, can you remember that? But even beyond that, we're really talking about the fact that we are too quick to forget on the, the many ways that God has worked in our lives, that he has uh, kept us away from harm, he's protected, he's provided for us, he's pursuing us all the, all the while. And when we forget that, we really lose touch with the power of the gospel message for our own lives as well as the power of the gospel that we should be extending to a world that is needing 
a gospel message. That's, that's the broad theme number one. The broad theme number two is this. Jesus is on every page of the Bible. We've said that many times this summer. But it also means that he is on every page of your story and on every page of mine. Recently, I was, for some reason, looking through the Billboard Hot 100. Are you familiar with this? It's, it summarizes and lists out the most popular songs in a given week, month, and year. And as I was looking through this list, I started with more recent songs and worked my way back. I found it very fascinating. Songs that I had forgotten about that were the most popular songs, songs that I was completely surprised were the most popular songs. Um, but there was one song that I really appreciated seeing, and we're, we'll, I'll share it with you here in a second, because uh, it helped create a framework for our discussion this morning. But I thought that I didn't want to leave you guys out of all the fun. I thought we could participate in that same exercise where I've got some clips for you to listen to, starting with the most popular song from 2019 and working their way back. And I promise this is leading somewhere. Um, we've done this the first two services. There were definitely songs that the older generation doesn't know at the beginning, and then there are songs that the younger generation doesn't know. You can keep track at home if you want. Uh, with which ones you know, which ones you don't. But let's go ahead and get started. 2019, this was the song of the year. Don't ask me what that song is actually about, okay? Um, raise your hand if you're familiar with that song. Okay, most of us, believe it or not, the majority of first service knew that song as well, okay? They did. Uh, moving back a few years, 2014, this was the song of the year. I definitely saw some clapping and some head bobbing over here, okay? Uh, moving back a few more years, country gets on the scene with the most popular song of the year in 2000. Moving back a few more years, 1996, uh, if you want to dance to this, feel free, okay? 1996, Song of the Year. Okay, we're going to move a little bit more quickly, all the way back to 1987. This was the Song of the Year. In first service, there was an audible yes when that song was played, okay, 1987. Moving back even further, all the way back to 1970, this was the song. It's at this point that the younger generation is beginning to look around wondering what in the world these songs about. Okay, one more for you. 1964. I think you'll recognize this song of the year. Oh yeah, I tell you something. I think you'll understand when I say that something. I wanna hold your hand. All right, I promise this is leading somewhere because the song that it came next was a song that was was interesting for me. That pr helped create this framework because it's the most unique of all the songs. It is the only song in American history that was number one and was considered a gospel song. 
comes to us from 1958, sung by a 13-year-old British singer, Laurie London. It's a song you're familiar with. It's a song we teach to our kids. And I'll be honest, I frequently use this song to sing my two-year-old daughter, Remy, to sleep. Here it is. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You could step back and, and probably write a dissertation on the progression of American music over the decades, okay? We're not going to go there. But it's this song that communicates a very simple truth. He's got the whole world in his hands. If you were to listen to the entire thing, it talks about having the itty-bitty baby, you and me brother, you and me sister, in his hands. And I love it because it's, it's a simple truth, but it's powerful. The idea that God has the whole world in his hands, and yet he manages to also have my life, your life, my heart and your heart in his hands. And as we've studied through the Old Testament this summer, uh, think back to David and Goliath. Abraham and Isaac. It seems like in those situations, God was present. God wanted to be close to his people as though he held that situation, those people in his hands. Or if you look at the themes displayed in the cities of refuge or Isaiah 53 or Psalm 23, the idea that God cares for us, that he's close, right? We see that being true. It's so much so that the, if you were to really summarize all the themes of the Old Testament, you would say this, God is moving in our direction, he cares about what's happening. He's moving in our direction. If we were to flip to the New Testament, that is still the case. God continues to move in our direction, so much so that we read in John 1 in the message that God literally moved into the neighborhood. He tabernacled among us. We see that in the person of Jesus. And ultimately, God wants to get even closer. He wants to live inside of us through his spirit. God has the whole world in his hands. He has my life in your life in his hands. God is moving in our direction. We see these themes on page after page after page of the Bible. But you and I know this to be true, that as we move from one day to the next day after day, the pages of our lives continue to turn, we somehow lose touch. The realities of the Bible become less true of us. There's distance between us and God. And we look around and we really begin to wonder, God, do you have the world in your hands? Do you see the world we live in? Is he really in charge? When we look at our own lives, you think about the struggles we have individually. God, do you really have my life? in your hands, we start to doubt, we begin to fear, we neglect, and ultimately we forget. Part of the reason for that is, I think, is the Sunday school answer. We don't read our Bible enough. We lament the fact that God is not close. We can't hear him. We can't see him. We can't feel him. All the while, our Bibles sit unused to the side, cast away on more days than we would like to admit. That same book that we read is God breathed, living, and active. Another part of the reason, the reason why we forget is simply that we are flawed human beings. We are sinful. Forgetting seems to be part of the territory. When we look at the story of the Old Testament, the same is true. Even though God chose his people, that people begin to forget, and they do so very frequently. And that's all despite the fact that God wanted them to remember. He wants them to remember, and so he sets up pragmatic, practical ways for his people to remember who God is and what he has done for them. Okay, we know these. We read about these in the Old Testament. The sacrificial system, the raising up of altars, the institution and celebration of feasts. What we read in Deuteronomy 6, when one generation is supposed to hand down their fate to the next generation, God has given us plenty of practical ways to remember, yet 
God's people continue to forget. And that's what brings us to our text this morning in Isaiah 49. If you look there, we see this poignantly expressed in verses 14, 15, and 16. We're just going to focus on these three verses. If you were to read the entire book of Isaiah, and specifically in chapter 49, you're going to see that God, he sees his people, he knows that they are broken, he wants to restore them, he wants to heal them. He wants to move beyond just his people, he wants to heal and restore all people and all creation. But in verse 14, we hear the response. We see the response of God's chosen people. And we, we're going to see this in the Old Testament context, but I think it's very much true in our context as well. Okay, so look at verse 14. It says, but Zion said, or you could say it this way, God's chosen people said, or you could say it this way, new hope, the people of new hope said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. I keep coming to God. I don't, I don't see him. It's as though he's forsaken me. When I go out in the world, I don't see God. I don't see his work. I see a world that's on fire, a world that's completely turned upside. I don't feel him. I don't, God, I'm, I'm looking for you, but where are you? Where are you? We read this in the context of the Old Testament. We, we know all the things that God has done practically for his people, but it's though his people have this, God, what have you done for me lately attitude? God, what have you done for me lately? And I think if we think about our own context, isn't that true? We ask that same question. God, what have you done for me lately? In our desperate moments, when life gets hard, we tell ourselves, we buy into the lie that God has forgotten us. We can't find him. But God does not forget. Look at verse 15. God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? I say, can a, can a woman forget her nursing child? I have a four-week-old, heiress Catherine. We welcomed in her to the world a few weeks back. I'm thinking about my wife. Is there any way that my wife can forget about this child? No, there's no way. Is there any way that dad can? Yes, okay, there are times where I forget, but God doesn't talk about me. He talks about this relationship between a woman and her child. No, there's no way that they're going to forget. But God says, he continues, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I will not forget you. For behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus, on every page, if we're going to use this language of story, then we have to understand that it's very much the true story of us forgetting. But at the same time, it's the very true story of God remembering. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got your life in his hands, in his, as Isaiah 49 says, in his engraved hand. That's what God is saying to his people. I can't forget you. You're more than just a string tied around my finger or an alarm set to remind us that that trash day is tomorrow. God is saying, look at my hands. Look there. Your name is right there. That's how much I love you. I, I can't forget you. When I was a kid, um, I would share these special moments with my dad where he would bring me close and he would take my hand in his and we would hold them up to one another. We would hold them up. And especially when you're young, you know, my small hand fits inside his, his big paw. And it, but it was just a, a, an interesting moment because I would, I would cherish them because I got to see how much I was growing and maybe I would slide my hand up a little bit. Our palms, our base of our palms wouldn't match up. But more than that, I, I would cherish it because I could see that I was becoming more like my dad. I continue to do this with my son, Conrad. I, I bring him close. I want to share this intimate moment with him. And sure enough, he holds his hand up to mine and he slides his on up, okay? Because he wants to see how big he is growing. 
It's a special time where we come close. And here in Isaiah, we see another page of the story where God is saying, hey, I love you. I'm not going to forget you. This is where we begin to form an answer to the question, so what? Jesus is on every page, so what? Because it's here in Isaiah that we see the God of the universe reminding his people, bringing them close, holding up their hand to his and saying, as he said in many places, I see you. I have not forgotten about you. I hear you. I know you're right here. Our focus on this summer has been on the pages of the Old Testament, but it's these themes, the idea that God hears us, that he sees us, that he does not forget about us, that he, he knows and he's, he's moving in our direction. It's those themes that as we read these Old Testament stories, they lay the foundation for the New Testament. So when we begin to see the New Testament unfold and we see Jesus come on the scene, these themes in the Old Testament come rushing in. The idea that God hasn't forsaken us, that he's moving in our direction, Jesus is like, I'm here. I'm here. When we see Jesus dying on the cross, what do we see? We see a God that says, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm here. It's as though Jesus is saying, look at my hands. Look at my hands. Your name, it's right here. Your sin, it's right here. That's how much I love you. I can't forget about you. I think this is where we get a more full-fledged answer to the question, Jesus on every page, so what? Because if he's on every page of the Old Testament and New, if that is true, then that means that he is also on every page of our lives. We are part of the story. He has the whole world in his hands, which means he has your life and mine in his hands, which means that he is moving in our direction, even this morning. He wants to bring us close, to share an intimate, special moment where he can remind us who we are and what we mean to him. How do we know this to be true? Well, we read it in the Bible. Look in the New Testament. Go to John ch chapter 20. After Jesus dies, buried, resurrected, he wants to spend special time with his disciples. He wants to restore them. And in John 20, we see that he comes into the room, speaks to them, but specifically he wants to speak to one person, Thomas. He wants to speak to Thomas. Oftentimes we refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas. I don't really like that moniker because when I see Thomas, I kind of see my own story there and I, I feel like I don't doubt so much as I forget. I would like to call him forgetful Thomas. But Jesus comes to Thomas specifically. And in verse 27, we see this. Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Jesus cannot do this from across the room. He brings Thomas close. He wants to share an intimate moment with Thomas so that the gospel message can be real to Thomas. It's as though Jesus, just like my dad and I or Conrad and I, he's holding up his hands and he's saying, I can't forget you, Thomas. I haven't forgotten you. See, your name is right here. Your sin has been paid for right here. I love you this much. Jesus is on every page of the Bible, the Old Testament and New. He's on every page of your story. He wants to bring you close and to hold your hand up to his. He wants to remind you what you mean to him, what he has done for you. Ultimately, he wants to write your story. He wants to write your story. In a world, in a, in a context that we live in where things have been turned upside down, when we look around and we don't like what we see, God invites us to share a special moment with him 
so that he can write our story. Part of that means, I mean, it may start with, the, with baptism. Maybe God needs to start writing your story here because in the end, it's not just God moving in our direction. Ultimately, we have to move in his direction. It's not just God doing it all. At some point, we have to say, that's what I want. I want you in replace of everything else. So maybe it starts in the waters of baptism. Maybe it means renouncing sin. Maybe it means we get our act together and start doing what we say we want to do. Maybe it means reading our Bible more. I don't know what it means, but I'll say this. God wants to write your story. And if I can take this even further, in a world that we wonder as Christians, what is the next day going to to look like for us? I'll say this, that as God seeks to write my story, as I seek to pursue him and begin to move in his direction, as you seek to allow God to write your story, and as you move in his direction, not only is he writing your story and mine, he begins to write the collective story of this church. And as God writes the collective story of this church, he begins to write the story, rewrite the story of this community. He begins to rewrite the story of this state and this nation. You can look around at the political upheaval, at Black Lives Matter, or race, or race riots, you can look at all of it. And there are lots of things that you could do, there's lots of things that you could say. But I will say this, whatever you do and whatever you say, it needs to start right here. It needs to start with you coming to your knees before God allowing him to bring you close, sharing special moments with him, communion and union with him, being reminded of whose you are and what God has done for you. As he does that, that begins to bring the change to a world that we desperately need. The gospel now moves from a concept to reality. We have put our faith in a God who knows. Let us pray that we can begin to do that because the change starts right here. Let's pray. Father God, when I think about my story in lieu of everything that you continue to do, I feel as though I have forgotten so much of what you have done for me, for this church. Father, forgive us for forgetting. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you, Father. We, we need you. We are sons and daughters because of Jesus, so we thank you for him and the, the, the death that he bore, the pain that he bore on behalf of us. Father, we want to bring hope to a waiting world. The gospel needs to be real with us. Start with us and allow us to begin to be the change that we want to see in the world. We ask for that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've been working on putting this message together, I think about the story of the Old Testament and the New, that language. My mind has continued to go back to a certain group of people and that would be the graduating seniors. Yes, I'm student minister, and yes, I know who, who these students are, but my mind and heart continue to go to them because for most of us, when you think about this, your story, you know, you, you flip the pages and you already kind of know what's going to happen on the next page. Freshman year in high school, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, senior pictures. Um, you're eventually going to hopefully graduate. You're going to have your open house. You're going to hopefully get some money that you can spend on some stuff that you're going to need for things down the road. Right? We know what those are going to be. But for this group of individuals, it's as though those pages in the story have been completely ripped out. And they are left wondering, does anybody care about our story? Does anybody know? I, I specifically do. It's, it's, on, it's kind of my job. It's on my heart, too. We've got a group of nine seniors that have been part of student ministry at this church. There are more students part of this church and, and beyond that you know. This is just a small sampling of them. But when you look at these faces, these are all people that I've spoken with. A lot of what I've heard is, 
right? I'm concerned that my faith is going to be able to hold up under everything that I have to walk through. They don't know what college, college doesn't look the same. The job market doesn't look the same. The military doesn't look the same for where these students are going. And normally, I would love to bring them up before you and you'd be able to see all their beautiful faces and we would give them gifts and we are going to give them gifts. But in, the, in a world of COVID-19, we can't even really do that. There are a couple seniors that have snuck in throughout this morning, but we can't do it because the world has changed for them. And they are feeling as though no one cares about their story and they have uncertainty to know how, how are we going to write this story. But I want to say this. Normally with seniors, we want to reflect and honor them. And then that's good. But I feel like more than anything else now, we need to reflect on all the ways that God has been part of their story and wants to continue to be part of their story because we know that God writes our stories, not just directly, but he also does it through the prayers and the presence of other people. If you think about your own life, there have been certain people that have made a difference, that have been praying for you, that care for you. This group of seniors, it's the, it's the same, but they need to know that we are a church that's praying for them, that we have not forgotten about them, that we can begin to help write their story in, a, in the middle of a, of a situation that's hard. So I'd like to do that now, if you don't mind. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Let's lift these group of seniors up. Father God, we, we love you and we love the fact that you move from one generation to the next and to the next. And oftentimes the story that you're telling is a, is a legacy of faith. And as I think about these seniors, as they're, they have doubts and concerns about what the next step looks like, help them have no doubts and no concern about what new hope means to them. No doubt that the people of New Hope are going to be praying for them. Help them to be satisfied in your presence. Help them to feel your presence and your peace as they continue to walk one step in front of the other, knowing that they are doing so hand in hand with you. And as a people in this place, help us to continue to love others from the smallest to the biggest, from the youngest to the oldest, so that way a waiting world can see us and know that we are your hands and feet because of what we see in Jesus. And Father, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.